Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. So we're back here on the podcast. It's good to um, be with you all. I am Father Timothy, joined by Father Luke. Father Allen, I've been uh, stealing the spotlight, leading many episodes in a row. I promise to step away after this one. I think this will be either one of our greatest or worst episodes. That is my premonition. <laughs> well, I think there are good things to this movie, Silence. I think it also deserves some criticism. There, I think it's we have to be responsible about this film. The reason why I thought it would be a good follow-up to our previous one uh, Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line is mostly facing death. It's obviously a very different film, but the same theme. These are Jesuit missionaries in the 1600s in Japan, and we had similar area of the globe, Guadalcanal, late World War II, but just that same question of do people have fear, hope, courage, etc. in front of death? It's a question of keeping the afterlife in mind while this world and its circumstances can be very heavy. I want to say one thing to kick us off, but we can all discuss round robin. For me, I want to say that there was a good side to silence in my viewing of it in that, it, in, in the historic context. For me, one of the powers, great powers of cinema is to bring you to a time and place not your own and to do so in a very experiential way. I, I felt that way with the early Christian community there in Japan. However, my criticisms would be that the historic context is very strong in this film, but it can easily be confused for history. I think it's because Martin Scorsese is getting into this theology of Let's follow the priests who cave in and apostatize and then are forcibly married to Japanese women. Especially the ending of the film, where you have the Dutch traders and sort of this sort of this historical note leaves you with the sense of, and this is how things were. Historic context, yes, I think it's very vivid. But this is a work of fiction from a 1966 novel by Shusaku Endo who we must say converted because of his mom. She, he kind of followed her. He always had a lot of tension between his adopted Japanese Buddhist culture and this new thing called Christianity. One of the few Japanese novelists of the 20th century who, who bragged that he didn't commit suicide, because I guess that was a thing in fashion. There's a lot of Shusaku Endo and Martin Scorsese in the characters and in the theology. I think that's very important to say, because the power of cinema, bringing you to this historic context, can overstep, I think, for many viewers, and I've talked to many friends about this, who said, oh my gosh, it's so thought-provoking. What do you think? How this happened? I don't think this is honestly a movie of the Jesuit missions to Japan. Historic context, yes, but what Jesuits were actually like, priests in the field facing this, I find it to be very 20th century in terms of its author. So I'm, I think there's a big note of caution for me. We can talk about specific details of the film, but the difference between 
I mean, this is historic fiction. The historic part is vivid. The fiction part is oftentimes, because of movie magic, skipped over, and people want to discuss, this is what happened in Japan with missionaries. No, this is what happened according to a novelist in 1966. Oh, so are you saying that the dilemma that Rodriguez faces wasn't really all that historical? I'm saying that in the world of today, it's like it's not permissible to really focus on just the story of a martyr because there were thousands upon... Take, for instance, a few weeks ago we had Paul Miki. Paul Miki, the Japanese priest, is, you know, Jesuit, dying on the cross, singing the hymns he learned in catechism, preaching Jesus and Mary. I mean, the, the, the martyrs are incredible. They have a real history. I'm not saying that there weren't priests who did apostatize, but the modern lens says, let's shift and focus psychologically in a detailed way on them. I've noticed in the movie, after, after you have the uh, exposition of the two Jesuit priests, young priests landing on J- shores of Japan, you have you know, the crucifixion with the waves crashing against the, high, the, the rising tide against the, the layman, essentially. It, I just kind of think it's, it's a modern error. Instead of showing a contrast you know, between faithful priests and unfaithful, it just kind of, early in the movie, it shifts towards the priests who kind of give in and cave in. And not to say that that's not worth our attention, but it almost colors it and to say, here's what happened to the church and the priests who went to Japan. It makes it seem like this was the dilemma versus there's no room for heroic priests. There's no room for, because it's the 21st century. Yeah, I th- your point is well taken, which is that it's it is presenting a a actual historical event and uh, era in a certain meeting of two cultures, and there were people like the different people presented, but it is giving it a very particular existential inquiry, in, which is kind of a beyond a historical question, it, it, and therefore it is a very particular way of approaching a historical event, which is colored by our own philosophy and theology of this era. So, yeah, those are kind of two different questions that have to be addressed in the film. For, for, for me, it was, well, first of all, this was, I just found it an extremely gripping, gripping film. I was um, just, it was just fascinating to watch. And um, especially um, just given that we're so familiar with the stories of the martyrs, you know, just, just from being faithful Catholics and being priests, you know, always celebrating um, the normal liturgical years, we go through the calendar of the saints, and so to begin to be able to kind of try to picture that historical moment. The big, well, I mean, there are a lot of big questions which I thought it raised, but I guess I'll just start off with with one of them, which that just jumped out at me big time was just just how it's how it seems to be about just the kind of the biggest questions of evangelization and about what what is really happening when Christian missionaries come to a new place. And just how, on one level, that that that's a, it brings up big questions of the faith itself, and how do you translate the theological concepts and doctrines of Christianity into different cultures? And of course, that that question has been with us from the very, 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 very beginning of the, the church. You know, when the the, just the apostles come out of their doors on Pentecost morning, and they begin to 
just speak the words of the gospel to people of all nations who were gathered there for the feast. And the testament of the evangelist writing in the Acts of the Apostles is that, hey, everyone is going to be able to receive the words of the gospel because of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit, which will make it possible for them to all hear the, these words of the gospel in their own language, right, which is the great miracle of Pentecost. And so, yeah, this has been a question for us from the beginning, and we have a very optimistic and naturally optimistic idea of how that's going to work because of our confidence in what we've been told by the Holy Spirit. But just to see those those questions and how they unfold on the ground, so to speak, as they're imagined in this in this film, was really remarkable. And and so, yeah, it, it, it's on one level and a question of the encounter of two different ways of faith, but it's also just the question of just, okay, how does one culture as a whole encounter another culture? And and watching, you know, Liam Neeson's character change over the course of the movie and seeing what he, what he becomes, on one level, yeah, it's a matter of him rejecting his faith, but on, the, on another level, you feel like he's, he's transitioned from being a European to being a Japanese man, and therefore it's just as much a question of culture as it is a question of of the faith of which each culture is a part. Father Allen, did you did you watch the movie? <laughs> um, you he know, will, I did. He, he will keep uh, silence. This podcast. Yeah, well, I am a bit at a loss as to what what to say about the whole thing. I, I will say that the setup is pretty ideal in a certain way. So Japan being the farthest east represents kind of the limits of the world. I mean, it, you know, so Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he gives the Great Commission. He commissions his disciples to go out to the ends of the earth and to preach and to baptize. And so this is, in a sense, literally the end of the earth. And, and so being this limit case of evangelization you can sort of expect that it will test the uh, Christian evangelization paradigm in a new way, almost like science fiction. If you reach some sort of limit, then the laws of physics, the laws of nature start to to change. But uh, anyway, so, so there's this really amazing complication on the kind of classical martyr paradigm. Traditionally, the big question is, are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? And now the question is, are you willing to lay down other people's lives for Christ? And it's also at, at a late date in terms of church history. I mean, this is what, the, the 16th century? 17th um, century, I think, yeah. When Christianity, when uh, Francis Xavier oh, when Francis he first Xavier arrived. Yeah, first sure, arrived. Sure. But no, you're, I mean, 17th century is when the movie takes place. But uh, yeah. And I do think that there there is a new sort of pretext for this complicated reception, which is the specter of colonialism. Mm -hmm. In the early church, I guess when Christianity is leavening the Roman Empire, there is no earthly power attached to Christianity. So people aren't threatened by Christianity in that way. I mean, you know, the Roman Empire is still still takes itself to be threatened because the religious worldview is being challenged, and that's in a sense, you know, central to to Roman society. But it's not. But Rome doesn't really understand itself as being taken over by a rival Rome. And, and I think uh, the Philippines had just been evangelized and, and partially, at least in appearance, 
kind of taken over by Spain and Spanish culture. So that was part of the reason why I think Japan was was fearful about um, being sort of Europeanized. And then it does become this question, especially in the in the conversation with Ferrara about yeah, I mean he really reduces it just to that that it's it's Christianity versus Japan. And it's like, you know, this is another world. This is this is an alternative universe where the laws of, of Europe no longer apply. But he actually ends up turning the imperialism around, if you will, by by saying something like to the effect of here in Japan, we find our original nature. So, you know, he starts by saying, look, Japan just wants to be Japan. But he ends by saying, actually, we're all Japanese and, and we're not Christian. So, yeah, that, that's kind of unfortunate. But I think that the dilemma, to me, the dilemma is the really paralyzing thing about this movie. They really frame it in such a way that it's it's very difficult to figure out just what's going on. I'd also just say, Father Allen, I think that's that's right that the film portrays these colonial, you know, clashing of empires, not just of religions questions. That that is very much to the preoccupation of the novelist Shusako Endo, you know, in silence, but if you read his other book, which he's even more famous for, Deep River, it's about Japanese tourists going to Hindu India and then mixing with Christianity and he that is a major question whether we think he's a profound thinker or not one of his questions is can cultures with such deep roots ever be fully reconciled can can really the christian mindset born in the middle east and grown in europe ever fully be adopted by japanese and it is true that even though there are of course christians japan korea china etc it seems like there's been a great deal of hardship. So he he highlights what has been a century-old difficulty. However, I'm not—see, I want to talk about both Endo and Scorsese, and you'll laugh at this, but quick analogy with Tom Brady. May I? Post-Super okay. Bowl champion. I guess it's timely. There's something about the theme of, so what's your conclusion? Fourth quarter, clock's ticking down. Like, how do you end this? It's one thing to raise questions or to portray something vividly. I bring up Brady because he usually, whether you're a fan or not, he eventually wins. Um, Whereas (laughs) I I think, there you go. I think this movie and like the novel itself you sort of have a, a big turning point in when he hears Christ speak to him, and then he steps on the image, and he gives, okay, that's a turning point. But then it's saying, so so what's the conclusion? And he's sort of, he's become Japanese, but he also, like, is buried with the rosary, and it's this whole thing about even though he abandoned Jesus, Jesus didn't abandon him. Theologically, in the in the basic theology of providence, it's it's true that you have, you know, first and second causes, so that... God does create, and he loves his creation, and he's present to it no matter what happens. But secondary causes like our human will, our human freedom, that's not just to be bowled over, to say, well, it doesn't really matter in the end. There's this real fuzzy, blurry conclusion, which not only passes the whole thing off as historical, but also it sort of wants to say that they've been through a lot, and God can't be a God who doesn't see that. And it's sort of saying that's that's one aspect of the human experience of torture and somebody's will being compromised by violence. There's a place theologically to account for. You don't have the full guilt 
of betraying Christ when you've been under such pressure. But it's still, um, I wasn't satisfied by, you know, both author and filmmaker's attempted conclusions, sort of trying to round it out and say, but God was there. And I'm thinking, that's that's one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is, if I, as a priest and as a human being and as a Christian, have to one day die and face a review, a judgment of my life. I mean, if I had a choice, I certainly want to be faithful to the end. I don't, I don't, I don't have any comfort in saying in, in compromise, if that makes sense. And I'm not. I just think there, there. I was left unsettled, whereas they tried to settle it. And I'm thinking, ah, what's what status is this guy's soul? I mean, I don't want to be in that case when I'm knocking on death's door. So, yeah, I found them kind of somewhat inconclusive because it is a real complicated issue that has historically happened, but it's really not humans, especially filmmakers, to psychologize, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe probably the biggest question that the film raises, and I think what most people who find the movie troubling, that this is, that's why, um, which is that it's ultimately asking the question of, okay, grace in my life, what does that look like? Is it just a conviction? Is it just a desire? Is it just God's faithfulness to me? Or does it actually become a materially uh, visible thing, so to speak, for me? Is, is it going to become manifest in my actions and in um, the, the impact I make in the world? And, of course, the Catholic very definite answer to that is is yes. It, it, grace is something that 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 is going to be manifested, even though it's an invisible reality, so to speak. It's going to be manifested in the flesh, and that's the exact opposite conclusion I think of of of, of this film and of the Scorsese's and perhaps Endos, although I haven't read the book um, of their presentation, which is that no, there's some kind of way in which. Rodriguez, even though he's basically stripped all of his Christian um, material identity and how that's manifested in a physical way in the world, he's stripped of all of that. And yet there, the, the claim is that he remains fundamentally, or at least the hope, that, that he remains fundamentally open to God and in harmony with God. But the and, moment, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's it's just, it's, and, and, and that is a very, a very troubling conclusion, I think. And basically, watching Rodriguez's character and Ferraro's character at the end, they basically look like sort of disincarnate ghosts. You know, they're just, they're just, they're, they're just sort of wafting through this other culture and have lost their very self, which I think is, is kind of, it's, it's because of the, the, the problematic situation they're in, where, where they're imagining themselves to somehow still be close to God when they've really just sort of um, left him in their material, uh, visible life. I'd also just At least Rodriguez, because Ferreira seems to really have left the faith in every Yeah, I agree. That's true. That's true. And and he signs against the creed every year they bring it to him. One thing we haven't named, which I think is crucial, is that it's not just there were hardships and tortures and that people gave in, um, nor even, as you brought up earlier, Father Allen, some of the hardship which happens in martyrdom is not just yourself being tortured, but seeing other people tortured. However, so we can go back to those things, but to me, one moment which is so crucial for the plot, and I find it to be for both author and filmmaker really irresponsible, personally, is to speak for Christ. I don't know anything 
I'm not just trying to protect this tradition of pure martyrs and there were no mistakes and there was no messiness in the church, but when you as an artist are talking about the psychological and experiential struggle of these priests, but then when you, in the moment of their caving in, actually speak for Jesus and say, basically, I give you permission, I love you, go ahead and do it, to me, just as an artistic move, I'm sitting back thinking, like, come on, you're you're now speaking for God, and to, to me... That just that I I think I I find that to be the most egregious, frankly, in the telling of the story. Hmm. Because I I mean even as even in even I also by the way just to let my personal I also am hesitant even of the opposite. You know there are a, a number of different devotional books which speak for Christ page after page, and whenever I'm hesitant of those too. Whenever somebody's like very freely or speaking for Christ, I'm thinking. I'm mostly going to go seek other books. I just, uh, I, just I think not, that's fair. I think that's fair. Not going there personally. No, it's fair. Although it, it may be the case that the movie doesn't take a stance on whether that apparition is real. Right. It it leaves it open. Is, okay. is it just is it just psychological? Is it their imagination or is it Christ? But it certainly is. It's shown as a sort of religious experience. I actually, yeah, I think, uh, I think the book is a little more neutral, if I recall. And in general, I think it's a little more negative against Rodriguez. I read it when we were in Novitiate. Actually, we, we, we read this in Novitiate, right? This book? We well, were given remember copies. that it wasn't required it. reading. It was, <laughs> unlike the other oh. novels that we read, it was not required. So I never read it. Oh, okay. Can I bring up another question, which is somewhat separate? May I? Yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about the actors. I don't know if it's a strength or weakness of this film to pick famous actors. Now, there was a lot of talk in saying, oh, Garfield and Adam Driver from Star Wars villain fame, that they they did the whole, um, what do you call it? The The exercises. The spiritual exercises for for 30 days. And it was sort of to say, wow, we, we got these actors and they've gone through the real steps and they said they were very profoundly changed by this. Fine. But in the final product of the film, I don't know two things. If I, I don't know if well-known faces of actors should be preferred for something like Jesuit missionaries and martyrs. I, I may have been actually more engaged in the film if I wasn't like, oh, Liam Neeson's over in Japan. Maybe that's my weakness <laughs> as a viewer. Um, and there's the Star Wars guy now trying to be a priest. Like that, that is a psychological thing that I immediately switched into. Eventually. Yeah. But I don't know if it quite went away from me. So I'm, I'm wondering the choice of actors. I also thought that even if this plot was exactly the same, I think it would be more realistic, and maybe this is my imagination, if they were just tougher. From the moment they land on shore, they're cowering in the cave, and then they see these heroic martyrs who are facing death. The waves are crashing on the cross. It's painful, but they're enduring, and the only reaction of these priests is, like, cowering with fear, like, what have we done to these people? It's like, are you not Christian? Are you not a Jesuit? I'm just saying, these are, Man, these are that's, like— That's pretty hard t- tone to take on this. Wow. I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you my viewer experience. I'm, again, this is subjective. It is. All right. But All right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is a kind of perennial cinematic question of just the advisability of casting um, famous people in certain roles. Do you want it to be an experience of just watching a celebrity or do you want it to be an experience in, of just being immersed in a, in, a, in a story? And that can always threaten that. But um, as far as the other question, I mean, 
I felt like the film raised some 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 troubling, challenging questions, which um, we, we've discussed a little bit already. But as far as just the overall presentation of the missionaries and their work, especially in the first half of the film, I, I uh, yeah, I did not have any 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 qualms or problems with that. I thought they were pretty pretty well portrayed. <laughs> and, that, and Father Luke, go with that because we should balance this out. You really liked Andrew Garfield. Well, I thought he did a great job. I, uh, I, I will, I will cede your, your an aspect of your point though, but to say that about two thirds of the way through the film, I began to feel like a second title of this film could be the many hairstyles of Andrew Garfield. I mean, you're basically just like watching, just like, like just it's, it was like his makeup artist, you know, had so many d- different presentations of this guy as he's going through this and that and this and that. So I found that kind of humorous. But, uh, but no, I thought he did a great job in the role. Do you think Scorsese wanted you to find that humorous? <laughs> probably not. No, I think that was probably an aspect of the problem of casting a celebrity. <laughs> no, I mean, look, if, if you want to complain about um, seeing actors rather than characters, you, you should have brought that up at a thin red line. Oh, well, sure, um, sure. Well, I mean, I, that was like watching an awards ceremony. I did. I, I did say that. It's just like you keep seeing these guys. You're like, really, Terrence Malick? Yeah, it's just like we yeah. talked about that. Come on, bro. I address that. George Clooney. All right, let's let's snap back um, into commentary mode. At least for a couple minutes. But, uh, We're almost done. No, I, that that was something that struck me too. That these priests look so young. And Jesuits have a longer formation, but back in that time period, you could probably be ordained pretty young, and so. Yeah, in a sense, it's it's kind of disappointing, but maybe it is true to life. I don't know. I mean, allow me to psychologize a little. I'm going out on a limb. But, you know, Jim Caviezel, a devout Catholic, played Christ in the Passion. I thought he was really effective. Have, have either of you seen this series, The Chosen? I've heard a lot about it, I think. I think TV thing? TV I, show? It's a, it's a, it is, and it's on the Gospels, the life of did Christ. Did you see the whole thing? Of I did. I thought it was okay. good. I mean, it was um, like any TV series, there's some filler, which isn't great, but I thought overall there were many, many excellent moments. But I'd say the same thing about the main actor who plays Christ. He's also a devout Catholic. There's something to be said. I'm not saying you have to be a devout Christian to then act as Christians, but I do think there's something to that. Um, that there's a strength in that if you're going to play a Christian, you know, people try and get inside the, the, the actor's head, but I know they went on this 30-day um, spiritual exercises, but you, I think that sort of, that might come across in these actors that they're acting as Christians, but there's something a little missing in that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, and I, I think it's sort of worthwhile, but you do have to make the important distinction that these actors are not necessarily doing this with faith. So exactly. they're sort of like exactly. they're like passengers on a ride, and not so much people living the exercises <laughs> as disciples of Christ. I felt a similar thing. There was some cheap movie a ways back where Anthony Hopkins was an exorcist or something. Now Anthony Hopkins actually has an incredible story about uh, converting, basically changing his life around an AA Alcoholics Anonymous. So he he has come, but there was something there too. You can sometimes feel when people are pre- playing priests. There can sometimes just it, it's it's one of the hardest characters to actually play fully well is a priest because it is just something that's different I think or mm-hmm. even and, and then they try to clarify it so like even in the movie Calvary it's 
Brandon Gleason, I think, does a very good job. But it's always like, well, he's a widower, so he was a father, so he's sort of like... It's it's rare to find just a good, pure priest character well-acted as well. I mean, they can't all be as fine as Bing Crosby was, right, in all of his classic priest roles. Um, <laughs> you know, he'll, I, I, he'll always be the quintessence of the actor-priest for so many people, I think. Um, before wrapping up, can I just mention one line which I found I found very moving actually in the um, in I, I liked a lot of the conversations between uh, Rodriguez and the Inquisitor. Um, oh, and by the way, the Inquisitor, my goodness, what what an amazing character! Yeah, he's, and, he's uh, the best. Wow, did you, did you remember that scene where he you, he almost looks like he's like decompressing as like a snake sort of settling down into himself? Do you remember that when there's just this one moment, this crucial moment in the dialogue where? Yeah, it almost yeah. looked like an optical illusion. Uh, yeah, but that was just uh, just part of his whole sort of theatricality, which was um, really uh, effective. But I just loved the line when they're talking about the analogy of Japan and these and these concubines, as the Inquisitor calls them, um, in which he's imagining the different worldly powers that are suiting Japan, in a sense, between Portugal and. Um, and Spain, and I forget what the other two are that he mentions. But then Rodriguez offers another perspective on it, and just says, "No, you you can choose you, you can choose to wed yourself not so much to one of those those worldly powers, but simply to Holy Church." The convincing way that that he that he presents that, and the way that it's filled with with his own faith and confidence in the the whole life and tradition of the faith, um, as simply presenting Holy Church as as something that, that that another culture can wed themselves to in 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 love and fidelity i think is the way he puts it i found that 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 very moving just as a moment of dialogue but then number 2 just as a way of thinking about the dy- dynamic that is at play um, in the spread of the church into different cultures and that there should ideally be a way or there needs to be a way for us to understand it, not just as a colonial expansion, but that there is, um, you know, we should have a confidence that there's a, that it is possible to disentangle, so to speak, the, the life of the church from the worldly powers, um, which are often the vehicle of its expansion. Yeah, so. I, th- I think the, the actual history of Christianity in Japan contradicts the main argument of the Japanese government in the movie, which is that Japan is just a totally alien soil and and Christianity can't take root here because once it was suppressed in the 17th century, the church did survive for two centuries without priests. So they were the secret Christians who handed down the tradition, baptism and catechesis, and were uh, rediscovered by by Christian missionaries in the 19th century. So actually, Japan is, a, is an especially fertile ground for the church, to judge by that history. And you see that at the beginning. I thought some of the most beautiful sequences were when the missionaries first arrived. There were multiple communities traveling and reaching out to find them, you know, mm-hmm. and that they had identified with the sign of the cross and yeah, there, there, there's a real sense of the church uh, waiting for, for priests, the church holding on. Uh, I thought that was really beautiful. Then the sequences of hearing confessions after so many years, celebrating yeah. the Eucharist. All those, gra- are those, are, those are really well done. Yeah, all great. And by the way, did you notice that at the very, very, very end of the film, it, it says that it's it, the film is dedicated to uh, Japanese Christians and their pastors, hmm. which I found interesting. 
To repeat myself from a previous thing to wrap up to, it's we won't do a full comparison, but just to name it again, Terrence Malick wrote the Franz Jägerstatter movie, A Hidden Life, in response to this film. So even though we were comparing it to the earlier Malick facing death and all that goes on, that's worth pairing. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying that Malick was intentionally thinking of this movie Silence? Certainly. So thinking of The Hidden Life? Yeah, he, it's, it's, Scorsese revealed that Malick actually saw Silence and saw that Scorsese had kind of treated like the whole theme of Christians and martyrs and Christ, and Malick thought that was very bold, and so he called Scorsese and asked him, like director to director, after seeing Silence, what does Christ expect from us? Hmm. Which led to him uh, making a, a hidden life as his, which is a very, I think, different film and different conclusion, but it's still the same thing about a man facing death despite desperate circumstances. Hmm. And and actually, it's, it really is asking the same question of, okay, do, do you choose to um, remain rooted in, in your convictions of, the, of your faith um, even when other people are going to have to pay for it? You know, because a big question for Jaeger's daughter is, is the question of his, his family. Exactly. You know? and, and he chooses that, no, it's, it's worth it even from my family's perspective for me to witness to the transcendent, transcendent, the transcendent um, reality of the faith um, in a way which, uh, you know, is, it's, the, again, the opposite conclusion here. Which is why in the heavyweight match, Malik versus Scorsese, <laughs> TKO, Malik wins. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. That's my opinion. <laughs> other people may favor other people. So I guess that's it for now. We'll end in silence. No. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find some music we'll find to go something. out to. Do we know what is the next film? Days of Heaven, right? Who directed that, Father Allen? Another Malik joint. Wow. This this place is this film this list is just becoming a, a Malik party. This will be the last one. Actually, this, <laughs> no, it won't. This let's no, say this Father Luke this this guest of ours, Father Allen from our, is is with us becoming a Malik convert. Right? He's. <laughs> I was never against Malik. I, I, I've always no, been on Team Malik. I think you've interviewed for the team, but you never actually, you know, you never got your own office in the building. <laughs> I've always been on the practice squad. There you go. Well, we have room for you on the roster and anybody okay. else. Come on. All right. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks again.